It's everyone's favorite time of year, tax season. Today's guest is Rich White, a CPA and tax preparer in Roseville here in the Monmouth area. Rich stopped by the office here in Monmouth to offer us his insight because due to knowing the tax side of things, he is also a local farmer, so he has that perspective as well. Here is our conversation. Okay, so today we are sitting down with Rich White. Uh, Rich, you live uh, and work outside of Roseville. I guess tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up, and how did you end up here in the Monmouth area? Well, for just a general disclaimer uh, to begin, these are all general uh, comments and general tax law. Obviously, a person should not take what they listen to on a 20- or 30-minute podcast and make large business decisions and tax decisions with it. So definitely talk to your tax professional um, if you have specific questions about things, um, because we are just going to be talking about um, general tax law situations today. So I work in Roseville, or I have an office in Roseville, and then my wife and I, we live on the farm um, that my grandparents started so we live there on the home place um, after they moved to town and I'm actually from Texas originally I went to the University of Texas at Austin and then I was an auditor in Dallas for a couple years and didn't want to do that forever and then um, got the opportunity to come come farm with my grandparents so moved up here and I've been here 10 years now okay so you live here outside of Monmouth with your wife and uh, do farming with your fam- on the family farm, and then uh, tax prep? Yes. So we're just a grain farm, which allows the schedules to actually work out pretty nice. Because um, if we had livestock, doing taxes in the wintertime would not work out. Um, so since pretty much I need to find something to do in the wintertime, it's kind of nice. I can use my accounting degree and um, help people out when they prepare their income taxes. Uh, as we look at tax prep season that we're in right now, how is a farmer taxed differently than someone who might be an employee of a company uh, regarding self-employment taxes? What does that look like? And what differences do we see there? Yeah, I would say that's that's kind of a huge difference um, when it comes to the tax code is if somebody's self-employed, um, especially farmers who don't pay taxes throughout the year, um, like a withholding and a paycheck, then come tax time, they get to pay both sides of the Social Security and Medicare taxes. So if if you're just an employee getting a W-2 from work, the employer actually withholds 7.65% of your taxes for Social Security and Medicare. And then the employer actually pays the other half of that. Now, most people don't realize that it's happening because it gets taken out in their check every time they get a check, but a self-employed person, um, since they get to pay both sides, it ends up being 15.3% of their self-employed income up to a certain amount. And so for a farmer who pays their taxes right at the end of the year, that's usually a pretty large chunk of the taxes that they had to pay with their tax return. Okay, so an employee is having that taken out weekly or biweekly out of mm-hmm. their paycheck, 
whereas a farmer, you're paying it in one lump sum. Now, the alternative might be quarterly estimates, where you kind of prepay. What does that look like? So if if a farmer wanted to prepay, um, pretty much they just have to figure out what they either think their income will be or they can use their prior year's tax amount that they owed. And farmers are actually able to just file one estimate payment in January if they want to. And that bumps the deadline back from March 1st to April 15th. Okay. Well, I'm glad you mentioned March 1st. Do you have any insight onto why tax day for the rest of the world is April 15th, but for farmers, it's March 1st? So farmers that make it March 1st, if you don't pay any estimates throughout the year, and it's because farmers' income can be so variable. So some years it's really big, some years it's not very much at all. And so for whatever reason, the IRS has decided that they aren't going to make farmers pay taxes throughout the year if they file by March 1st. So it's it's kind of a benefit to a farmer who can have very um, fluctuating income. Okay, so speaking of uh, fluctuating income, this is a conversation you and I have had in the past about this idea of smoothing income. So farmers are in danger sometimes. Uh, you could potentially have income from two crop years in the same calendar year. So can you kind of speak to the idea of smoothing out income and why that's important? Yeah, so I would say overall, um, if people can avoid having one huge year followed by a loss, followed by another huge year of income, followed by a loss, if they can avoid that, they can actually take advantage of quite a few benefits in the tax code. So one of those would be just the standard deduction. Um, and so if if a farmer has a loss one year, they don't get any advantage of the standard deduction. They don't get to take advantage of the initial tax br- brackets. So right now, the first two brackets are 10% and then 12%. Um, and so if, if the farmer doesn't have any income that year and they're not filling up those brackets, they're not taking advantage of... of the lower rates. Uh, There's also certain credits like a child tax credit that a person has to have earned income for. Um, Obviously, the earned income credit, you need earned income to claim it. And so if a farmer is able to um, avoid the large swings of large profit, then a loss or no income, large profit, no income, if they can avoid that and just have some income every year, uh, the tax code actually gives them a number of advantages for doing that through different credits that can lower their taxes or different deductions that will lower their income. Well, and you mentioned the standard deduction, which for a married couple, that's not insignificant. Uh, is, we're talking somewhere up close to 20000 is that correct? For a married couple, <clears throat> it's uh, actually over 24000 um, married filing joint. I think it's twenty four eight this year. It might be twenty four four. They change that number every year. So, But if you don't have enough income, you wouldn't qualify for that. And essentially, that's free money taken off your tax liability. Right? So, so if, if you don't have enough income, let's say you only have $10,000 of income, then the standard deduction will lower your income amount so that you're not paying any income taxes, but you're essentially losing out on an extra $14,000 of a deduction that the government would give you that you're not able to take advantage of. Okay. So connected to that idea of having a smoothed out income, 
sometimes the first thing guys think of is, oh, I need to come up with business expenses to lower my income level so I'm not paying as much tax. Mm -hmm. So is it a good idea for them, let's say it's December, to go out and buy a brand new, let's say a a side-by-side or an expensive toy or a new vehicle or a implement just for the sole purpose of avoiding taxes? Is that a something you would recommend or a questionable strategy? I would say the most important thing is to have it be a business decision and not a tax decision. So if somebody for their business wants a new tractor or some other implement, then I say meet with your tax professional and figure out the best way to structure it from a tax standpoint. If the only reason somebody is going to buy a piece of equipment is solely for tax savings but not a business savings, it may not be the best decision. Um, Because sometimes the best business decision is actually to pay a little tax along the way versus I'm just going to zero out my income because I don't want to pay anything. Sure. And when it comes to, like we mentioned, um, say – tractors or farm implements, that type of thing, that gets into depreciation. Mm -hmm. And so that can also play a role in your tax liability, correct, right? How you depreciate items? Yes. So there's quite a few uh, different rules around depreciation. So I definitely recommend anybody who has questions, visit with your tax preparer about it. Um, There's different ways the government lets people or lets farmers take a deduction in one year. Um, for equipment that they purchased, if it qualifies. And we won't go into all the qualifications for how to deduct it in one year. But if if a piece of equipment is not deducted in one year, then it gets depreciated out over its useful life. And the government has different lengths of time. Um, so a tractor right now, a new tractor would be five years, but a used tractor is seven years, a grain bin seven years, field tiles 15. So it, it's all based upon what the government decides. But if you depreciate the equipment out, you get a little bit of expense every year um, over the useful life of that piece of equipment. Okay. Excuse me. So that covers the expense side of things. Let's talk income a little bit. Some farmers, um, you know, say they plant the crop in spring of 2020. They harvest it that fall. But then uh, concerning the smoothing of income, they decide to take January pay for January 2021 pay due to, let's say, the year prior. They'd also had um, some income in that year and they didn't want to double up. If come tax time, they decide that they actually do want that income for 2020, even though they got the check in January of 2021, they took January pay. Um, you can elect to move that forward for 2020? Yes. So fall sales with January payment contracts, um, I think, are actually a pretty flexible tool farmers can use. So the way this would work in it's a big requirement. A person actually has to contract to sell the grain for a fall price. So so in our case, someone would, would have to actually sell it in 2020, either right off the combine or prices went up in December. So they might say, hey, I'm going to sell it right now on the December contract, but I want to defer payment until January. 
So come tax time, if they need to increase their income on their tax return to take advantage of some of those deductions and credits we talked about, they can actually choose on a contract-by-contract basis to recognize that income in 2020 instead of 2021. So as I mentioned briefly there during that explanation, another key is it's on a contract-by-contract basis. So if somebody sells 15,000 bushels all in one contract, that whole contract is either going to be in 2021 or they have to pull the whole amount back to 2020. Um, Whereas if they had broken up into 2,500 bushel contracts, then they could choose, okay, I want this 2,500 bushel to get recognized in 2020 and all the other bushels I'm going to leave in 2021 because I want to recognize that income next year. So talking about smoothing out of income, kind of breaking it down by multiple contracts does give you that flexibility that you would kind of be preferable. uh, And then really you can kind of um, take a look at your income and make that an attractive number and take advantage of those deductions. Yes, and, and that's why that type of contract is really flexible in my opinion because these decisions can actually be made at tax time. So when a farmer's preparing their taxes in February, they know all their expense numbers, they know all their other income numbers, and so you're you're really able to dial in exactly how much income they want. And so, for example, somebody could use that as a way to fill up their 12% tax bracket. So if, if they wanted to take advantage of these lower rates we have right now, that fall sale January payment contract is potentially a way to uh, increase their income to fill up those brackets without going into the 22% bracket, let's say. Sure. It makes sense. So do you have a list of most commonly asked questions or frequently asked questions that your clients ask you when they come in? Uh, I would say their favorite question is, what's my final tax bill? (laughs) Um. But otherwise, one of the big questions I've received this year is on the stimulus payments. And both stimulus payments, both last spring and the ones that just came out, they were paid in January of this year, both of those actually go on the 2020 return. Um, That's something a lot of people didn't know. They assumed since they received the payment in January 2021 that it was on the 2021 tax return, but it actually goes on the 2020. So both of those payments need to be reported to your tax preparer. And the thing with the stimulus payments, they're they're not taxable income, um, so you're not taxed on them. And if you did not receive enough previously, then you actually will get a credit on your tax return. So it'll lower your taxes on your tax return. But if they paid you too much, um, as long as it's not a deceased person, um, if they paid too much, then you don't have to pay that amount back. Okay. So as you're talking about potentially being taxed on some of these things related to coronavirus, uh, what might come to mind for some guys is the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. Is that taxable income? The forgiveness of a PPP loan is not taxable income, 
and what they passed in the December stimulus bill just a few weeks ago is a person can still take any of the expenses they used um, with the PPP proceeds as expenses on their tax return. So, for example, if a farmer had employees and used the PPP loan to pay their employees, they still get to deduct those wages that they paid to employees but not recognize the income when that loan is forgiven. Okay, sure. Uh, And then in addition to the PPP, this year we also saw the CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistant Program payments, and we've had the MFP market facilitation uh, payments in the past as well. Do those count as income? Are they taxable? Yes. So just about all the farm programs ended up being taxable. That'd be ARC, PLC, it's taxable in the year that you receive it. The market facilitation program, taxable in the year you received it. Same with the CFAP 1 and 2, taxable in the year you received it. Um, also, this it's not government-related, but the Syngenta payment for the Syngenta lawsuit, I know that, that quite a few people uh, have been receiving payments for that. And Syngenta is actually sending out a 1099 for the full amount of the payment. Um, some people didn't receive the payment until January 2021, but Syngenta sent those out right at the tail end of 2020, so they're actually sending out 1099s to people for that. So the full Syngenta payment will go on the 2020 return. Okay. What if guys got a crop insurance payment? Is that income? Crop insurance, there's two pieces to it. Um, So first, the amount they received is income. The question is, is it for a revenue loss, which is part of the federal crop policy? Um, If it's revenue-related, you have to recognize it in the year you receive it. Um, If it is related to destruction, so wind, hail, um, something along those lines, then potentially if the farmer meets certain requirements, the farmer may be able to defer that amount of insurance payment to the following year. One of the big requirements to do that, though, is the farmer has to recognize over half of their income in the following year of growing the crop. So, in this case, a farmer has to have a history of selling over half their crop in the following tax year. Okay. Um, And if, if they do that and meet a few other requirements, then they may be able to defer the crop insurance claim for damage to the following year. Okay. Um, Some of our listeners might get annual patronage payouts from their lender or local co-op. Is that income? Yes. Yes. Okay. So just about everything that we've talked about, the government's going to get their hands on it in some way or fashion. Yes. In general, the way the tax code works is anything you receive is income unless the government says otherwise. Okay. And in case of like the PPP, they have specifically said this is not taxable income. Correct. Congress, in their last stimulus bill, specifically said forgiveness of this loan is not taxable income. 
Okay, so what if producers, they get these 1099s in the mail, but then when they go to file their taxes, they're like, well, let's just pretend this didn't happen. I don't want to pay taxes on this. I'm not going to turn this in to my tax preparer. Uh, what happens then? Uh, that's tax evasion and that's fraud. Okay, and, so. and is there a, um, like, if you get audited, I mean, you're facing a, a pretty stiff fine or penalty. You know, what does that look like? Uh, f- I don't remember what the fraud penalties are, but they are pretty substantial, and there is no statute of limitations on fraud, meaning normally the IRS cannot go after an old tax return if it's past either three or six years, depending on certain requirements. Most of the times it's only three years. The IRS won't go back any further and look at any years before that. However, if there is fraud, the IRS can go back as many years as they want and audit people and assess them penalties. Okay, so keep track of your 1099s and report it as income. Just pay the tax. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't commit fraud. Yeah. <laughs> good, good advice. Yeah. You heard it here first. Don't commit fraud. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some uh, producers may have a futures or options trading account through a broker that they use to hedge their crop. Uh, is that any hedging gains or losses? How does that reflect on their income? So if it is considered a hedge, then the income or loss just goes on their Schedule F, which will increase or decrease their farm income, which will therefore increase or decrease both their self-employment taxes um, and also their income taxes. Okay. What have we not addressed that you want farmers to be aware of? Because you had kind of an insight to specifically, you are a farmer, but you also have an accounting degree and you're a CPA, so you know the legal and account, uh, accounting and bookkeeping side of things. What is something that's unique that you know that you know you just want farmers to be aware of? I would say one of the big things is um, a lot of people don't know about the fall sale January pay contracts and the flexibility that that come with that. Um, so I've been trying to talk to my clients over the past few years of just trying to let them know what the requirements are because if you don't meet the requirements, you're not able to actually take advantage of the flexibility. Um, But letting them know what the requirements are and then allowing them to make the decision, do you want to fill up the 12% bracket Um, or do you want to leave everything in the next year? Or if somebody's starting to get to retirement or or they know retirement's five to ten years away, um, some of my clients are starting to slowly bring some more income into current years. Um, so that way, in the year when they retire, they aren't going to get completely slammed with taxes. Okay. So if people are listening to this and that sparks a question that they have that I have not asked, how can people contact you if they have tax-related, ag-related questions? Uh, If they want to contact me, our office phone line, 309-426-1925. Or they can always talk to whoever their current tax preparer is. Um, Because with all these things, everyone's situation is different. And so I definitely feel like people's individual tax preparers are a great resource because they know people's history. They know their operation. Um... So they're really able to speak into, okay, 
these these fall sale January pay contracts, these might really be beneficial for you. Or, you know what, you need to depreciate this, depreciate out this piece of equipment. Um, so, so a person's tax preparer can be a, a great resource for people. Um, and I would also say that if somebody's thinking about doing something, it's always good to contact your tax preparer before you do it. Um, because once a transaction's entered into, uh, you you can't restructure it afterwards to um, take advantage of the tax code. Well, and taxes are a classic example of someone knows just enough to be dangerous, and they say, oh, well, I heard somewhere that I could do this, mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, it turns out to be bad advice, and they owe a huge tax bill, and then... You know, they tell on all their neighbors, oh, hey, don't do this because I thought I could, you know, lower my tax bill, but now I have to pay more or it came back to bite me in some way. So definitely ask questions, talk to your tax preparer, you know, give Rich a call, look into these topics. But if there are uh, things that you can learn about to potentially help lower your tax liability. Yes. Yep. All right. Any closing thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with? No, I would say... uh... Just be sure to get all your income and expenses out to your preparer soon, because I know the deadline is only about two weeks away. It's coming um, up. Yes. So uh, I hope I hope everyone has a good tax season and and a good planting come come April. All right. We hope you found that conversation with Rich beneficial. If you have additional questions on any of the tax topics that we discussed, give Rich's office a call at 309-426-1925. And if you have questions about Golden Harvest or our current in-season seed offers, give me a call at 309-337-9081, and you can reach out to us on Facebook by searching Heritage Ag Solutions. Also, we want to let you know that every weekend, I send out a market analysis email looking at the corn and soybean markets with technical chart-based signals. If getting on that email list is something that interests you, give us a shout and we'll get you signed up for that as well. We are Heritage Ag Solutions, helping you leave a legacy that lasts. We'll catch you next time.